Thanks for joining us at the Liberty City Podcast. Liberty City values each person's unique experience with faith, and we hope that this word impacts you today. Well, how's it going, church? I want to talk to you today on the topic of emerging from His presence. And the Bible says in Luke 4, chapter 1, that Jesus, note this, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. In verse 14, jump down with me. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit and news about Him spread through the whole countryside. I've been listening to Hugo's kindergarten teachers teach him and they overemphasize the words that they want the kids to pick up and like two plus two is, you know, and then they want them to, I just did that with you. It's like Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, then returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, like that, that's weird. So I'm not saying that I'm your kindergarten teacher. Anyway, just like take it as a, take it as a compliment that I feel like I can teach you with intonation and tone and we can have a great time here preaching today. Nadia preached from this passage last week and a brilliant message called The Test of the Wilderness. I then preached an equally outstanding sermon the week before called The, <laughs> called the Secret Place. Both of these messages are messages talking about another place that we go. Jesus talked about prayer in the secret place and he made a comparison with the Pharisees who would make it very clear that they were praying and they would be on the roof making a big deal about it. But Jesus is saying, just keep it humble. Just keep it low key. Go to a secret place, a secret room and pray. Pray to your father. Nadi was talking about the test of the wilderness here from Luke 4. And the Bible says about Jesus that he left full of the Holy Spirit, but came back under the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to talk to you today on the topic of emerging from his presence. Because you and I, we need to understand that we can't just live our life in a devotional. We can't just live our life on a repeat of the 30-day shred. I don't think families could handle it. We can't just live our life in that secret place. We must emerge and partner with what God is teaching us and live our day-to-day lives. But before we move on, let me pray. Father, we ask that you would, you would speak, that you would move, that you would encourage us today, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. And everybody said, amen. And Everybody said, no, there's that kindergarten teacher coming through. There, there are a few things I want to add to what it is that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. And the first one we'll talk about today, which is emerging from his presence. And the next one we'll talk about next week, and Nadi's gonna, um, we're going to preach together next week, is this. What we must learn in order to live with the Holy Spirit. So we've found him in that secret place that we've created in our own lives. We've emerged back today. We'll talk about that. But then how do we live with the presence of God? From Adam and Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, Jesus, the early church, and the arrival of the promised Holy Spirit, the Bible has a theme of God's presence. The Bible has a theme of God impacting and touching the lives of regular people. The Bible has a theme of caring and looking after the presence of God, from tending the fire in Leviticus to the tent of meeting to the, to the jackhammers at Southminster. All of these are to strengthen the very foundations of our faith so that we can go deep and jackhammer to the deep parts of the earth where the Balrog doth lie. In Leviticus, the tending of the fire, the tent of meeting, David carrying the Ark of the Covenant, Jesus teaching us 
about the secret place. Nadia last week talking to us about the test of the wilderness. All of these are about the caring of the presence and the tenderness of looking after God's touch in our lives. We think about Jesus walking into the wilderness, being led by the Holy Spirit for 40 days and then coming out. Even he emerged back into his regular day-to-day life. He came back to the real world. And so what must we do? What happens when we emerge? What can we expect? And Nadia and I, in fact, today, on the day of recording, Nadia and I are celebrating 15 years married. For the last 15 years, we've essentially been running either a youth group or planting a church. And of all of the years, we thought that this year would be the year that we wouldn't have to do anything churchy because we looked at the calendar and we thought, you know what, let's make that day a day that we can celebrate. Because every other year, we would be at our youth summer camp, which we ran for about 10 years in New Zealand. And so we would celebrate our anniversary surrounded by six or 700 other teenagers. And so it was not really a celebration at all. And here we are today filming. Coming back from those summer camps, um, it was a really interesting experience for us, but a really interesting experience for the young people. Because they would go away for three or four, maybe five days, have the best time with their friends, have so much fun, make new acquaintances. Your Facebook notifications go through the roof because you're connecting with friends from all over the country. Or maybe in Canada, it would be all over the province or the city. And you would come back, and what would happen was you would be um, encountered by people that weren't with you at the camp. So you're at this camp and there's sessions and you're, you're connecting with God and you're just having these amazing times where the Holy Spirit's moving on your life and you would come back to real life and you would be encountered by people who weren't at the camp. And, and they hadn't been changed while you had been changed. They were just living their normal life while you had been at the camp being genuinely impacted by the presence of God. Now, this is why I truly value the phrase being in the room. It can be a cliche that's overused in Christianity, and I understand that and I get that, but I'm unashamedly all for being in the room because there's something, there's, there's a phrase, and it goes like this, and it's so true. There's something to be said about things that are more caught than taught. There's those you had to be there moments. There's so many times when I've been away with the boys for a weekend or had a couple of days together or had, had people over for a games night, and things happen that you can't recreate. You can't, as good a storyteller as we think we are, you can't retell the story of a truly you had to be there moment. And when you have these summer camps and you come back and you had to be there and you're trying to tell people about the things that had happened and you're emerging back into real life and there can sometimes be that level of disappointment. What happens then with Moses when he came back down the mountain and Nadia again so brilliantly last week said that he came down the mountain, found his brother Aaron, had fashioned a golden calf and then lied about it. it was, it wasn't the fact that he fashioned the golden calf. Moses could have been like, you know what? Hey, that's a bit weird. Let's just refashion it into a little Buddha. You know, I'm just going to joke, of course. Let's, let's change it up. But then Aaron lied about it. So Moses is like, man, what am I going to do with this guy? But that calf there speaks of idolatry. It speaks of pagan gods. Whereas for us, oh, I'm not sure anyone in our church that's on the podcasts or watching this on a Sunday or on YouTube is necessarily like worshipping pagan gods. But I think we probably are worshipping other idols, um, possessions, money, cell phones, um, yeah, uh, devices, social media, what other people think about us. All of these things are pagan gods or golden calves. 
And we come back from these experiences and that's what we're encountered with. We've given God some space. He's really spoken to us. And then we emerge and we're faced. It's like when you uh, have a great experience and you try to tell someone. And you can tell the person's just not interested. Honestly, they just don't care. And so they show that they don't care with their body language. They're on their cell phone. They kind of chill in, like whatever. And you just know that in that moment, they are not listening to what it is that you are saying. Why? Because in that moment, without trying to over-spiritualize the, the moment, they have made a golden calf out of something else rather than listen to the testimony of what God has done in your life. So as we emerge, as we come out, as we come back under the power of the Holy Spirit, because we can't just live a life 24-7 in worship, 24-7 in our devotional life, because we probably honestly get a little bit weird. We have to come back to our normal lives. So what can we expect when we emerge? What should happen when we emerge? What can we expect that will happen when we come back and re-enter, I suppose, our normal life? And if you're taking notes, the first thing I'd say is this, is that we are pausing. <laughs> we, we are having a break. <laughs> we are listening. Uh, yeah, great. Uh, the first thing I'd say is this, is that we are amazed. We're amazed. When we've been with God, it's amazing. When God speaks to you, that moment in prayer, that insight from the Word. We've had Caleb Gronawag do a couple of offerings and he preached a few weeks ago. I just love when he speaks because he has genuine insight, original thought, revelation, because he's been with the Lord. And it's amazing. A few years back, the NBA, which is like, uh, it's, uh, it's a global basketball league, whatever. It's no big drama, you know. Um, it, and that's just a sport where you've got grown men or women throwing a ball into a hoop, whatever. It's great. It's a sport. That was invented in Ontario. So that's why we talk about it all the time. James Naismith, shout out. And they had this uh, marketing campaign that was where amazing happens. Where amazing happens. And, the, and like, oh, the like alley-oop through the leg dunks and the buzzer beater and the deep threes and the crossovers and the ankle breakers and all the NBA fans, like, it's so true. Amazing does happen in the NBA. And, and, and as usual, that 10 out of 10 on marketing. But I think when it comes to that word amazing, it's like there's like incorrect standards being used. Because really, like, it's like basketball, it's amazing, it's truly great, but it's just people putting a ball in a hoop and then stopping the other team from doing just that. What's truly amazing is this. Fresh, large, fluffy snowflakes. They're amazing. When they just meander their way down from the heavens. Absolutely amazing. The moment when my son Hugo came outside on a bright fall evening, beautiful, um, sun had just gone down, uh, the stars are peeking through the clouds and he looks up and sees a star and says, wow, look at the stars, Dad the birth of a child, your wedding, the moment that the portal opened and Endgame and Spider-Man emerged, the recognition of graduating, your first hug after quarantine. These things are amazing. This is where amazing happens. And the thing about God and these beautiful moments that we experience from nature, through relationship or from His presence, is it reinforces that He is amazing. That is there anything more special than his presence? Is there anything more wonderful than his touch? 
Is there anything more truly beautiful knowing that God has spoken to you? Luke 5, 26 says, everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. And they were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today because his presence is remarkable. Hearing from him is amazing. It is excellent. It is awesome. When he works in your life, it is truly, truly special. Nadia and I, some years ago, we bought a house on a street in Wellington, New Zealand called Marsden Street. We bought the home. It was like an old villa, beautiful old wooden floors, you know, like so old that the floors, you know, little, like if you put a marble, it would kind of roll to the corner, a little bit wonky in parts, but just beautiful, ready for Nadia's touch and my elbow grease to get in there and really revamp and turn this house into something truly great. But the real estate agent and the builder's report came back and they said, hey, the thing you need to know about the house is that um, it's on timber, a, a totara wood, timber or lumber foundations, and they're sinking into the riverbed because it was right next to a river. And in New Zealand, we don't have, um, uh, well, they don't have, I should say, basements because you can just put a concrete slab directly on the ground and build on top of that. As opposed to in Canada, you want to get your foundation below the frost line, which is three feet below the surface, just in case you were wondering. And so you have to get the foundations below the frost line so that it doesn't warp through the wintertime. Whereas in New Zealand, the winter is quite mild and Wellington might even get as low as one or two degrees. So it's really not very cold, really quite mild. And so you could build a house on wooden foundations. But the foundations were sinking into the riverbed and they would need to be replaced. The replacement cost, I asked and found out, would be $50,000. Let me repeat that. $50,000. As a young married couple with four young kids, I didn't have, Nadia, have you got? We didn't have $50,000 to replace the foundations. So what if we bought the house and then the house sunk and they needed to be replaced? We decided to take the risk. So we bought the house and we've lived in the house for about a year. And then I heard a knock at the door. And I went to the door and at the door was what looked like a, well, well there was a cameraman and then a woman with the cameraman, which made her look like a journalist. Turns out my spidey senses were right. She was a journalist and he was in fact a cameraman. She said, have you got any comment on the council buying up your house and every house on the street? And I was like, uh, well, I have no comment because that's the first I've heard. She was apologetic. She said, sorry. Um, do some homework. I'll come back tomorrow to get a comment from you, but uh, it's true. So I call up Nadia. I was like, hey, I just had the weirdest thing happen. They reckon that the council's buying up the whole street. And so we Googled and found out that, in fact, just that last evening, the council had decided that they would buy up, it would essentially be state-owned, government-owned property. They would buy up every home on the street in order to like renovate and create some kind of thing. So we were like, oh, so the council's buying our house. We're no longer going to live here. We have to find somewhere else to live. Like all of the, all the things that the stability that home offers just in one foul swoop got, got taken out from under our feet. And we started to wrap our head around it. We got some legal advice and we had a conversation with the council and they said, yeah, we are going to buy your house at market value. And we're going to do that within the next six to 12 months. And we don't require a building report because we're going to demolish the house. And so I'm like, I get home, I'm like, nah, hang on. The council's going to buy the house at the right price, market value, and they're not going to um, want to even be concerned about the foundations because they're going to demolish it in the next six months so we don't have to fix them. So really, we were in pocket 50 grand. 
Well, this is great. But the story got even better because at the time in Parliament, the Resource Management Act was being passed or amended and there was a, a parliamentary law that was literally passed during the sale of our house that meant that the inconvenience fee that families like us would get, which was $2,500 that you would get just as a, I'm sorry, you have to move, was increased from $2,500 to check this, $40,000. Let me say that one more time, $40,000. So we were no longer 50 grand in debt. We were at a $90,000 turnaround and had 40 grand in the pocket. We were amazed. We thought it was truly and genuinely remarkable. Luke 9.43 says, all were amazed at the greatness of God. It is amazing to me. It is remarkable to me when I think about the things that God has done to get me through this life, the things that He's doing right now, the things that He's working in your life to get you through because He works for the good of all of those who are called according to His name. It's amazing. It's remarkable. We're amazed. It's amazing to me that when Nadia and I and the family landed in Toronto uh, International Airport, Toronto Pearson, and we walked through the airport and went to the area in immigration where you would be, they would decide on the spot whether you were going to be allowed to come into the country on a working visa because they couldn't tell you before. You had to get there and then they would decide on the spot. What kind of system is this in the world? I'm not sure. And we sat there, our family, all of our luggage, all the possessions that we owned were there in that room. And my number got called and I walked over and I saw the lady. I said, hey. And she was just stapling the last visa and folding it inside the last of our six passports. Folded it and was about to push it across the table to me. As I realized what was happening, we had indeed been received by Canada and were on a two-year open working visa and able to live here and work here and start the church here legally and without any concern of having to uh, get another temporary work visa. But for two years, we had, we had space to do what we felt like God had called us to do. She explained that to me. She folded the last one in and pushed it across the table. And just as I went to grab the passports from her, I said, you, you don't understand. Like, we've been praying for this moment. And she looked up at me and she, she simply said these two words. She said, I know. And she pushed the passports. I grabbed them. I turned around to Nadia and just did one of those silent fist pumps. Like, like when your face is, it's like, I think when you think about sport and they do something, they were expecting that the ball would go in, that the ball would go in the goal or in the hoop. And so they, they do it out of like, I've put work in and they like beat their chest. Whereas for me, it was like, we did it. We were amazed because when God works on your behalf. It is amazing. Psalm 86 verse 10 says that you are great and you do wondrous things. What about the other night at dinner? We're talking about staff and then writer's like, hey, um, quite randomly, he brought it up. He's like, hey, I turned 13 this year and I know we've been saying that we're going to get me a cell phone and stuff, but he's like, I just, I don't want a phone. And we were like, what's wrong with you? He's like, I don't want a phone. He says, I think it'd be a waste of time. He goes on to say, he says, I think I'll, I'll get addicted and obsessed to things like social media that I don't need. He says, my best friend lives around the corner. He says, I love my family. He says, so that I can easily talk to all the people that matter to me because they live so close. Could I just choose instead of a phone, a whole bunch of art supplies instead? <laughs> you, you should have seen Nadia gobsmacked at the dinner table. We didn't know what to say. 
our 12-year-old son had just told us that we, he didn't want a cell phone for his 13th birthday, which is in six months. It's, cl- it's closer friends than it's ever been. <laughs> it, was a, it was a carrot that we dangled three years ago, but it's so close. And he said, ah, oh, I don't want a phone. In other words, if I could over-spiritualize the language, writer saying this, I don't need a golden calf in my life to get in the way of what truly matters. My friend lives around the corner. I love my family. I can talk to anyone that I love face to face. And then he threw in, maybe just to clinch the deal to get his mum on board. Can I buy a bunch of art stuff instead? We were amazed. It's amazing. When God works on your behalf, it is amazing. When we emerge from his presence, we emerge amazed. If you're taking notes, write this down. The second thing I'd say is this. We're not just amazed, but when we emerge from his presence, we leave different. We come away from touching God different than when we came in to touching him. Genesis 32 talks about Jacob wrestling with God. And for time's sake, I'll bounce through the scripture. Genesis 32 verse 25, it says that his hip was wrenched. It goes on to say that the man he wrestled with the Lord, verse 28 says that you will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. Goes on to say in verse 31, that the sun rose above him and he was limping because of his hip. That he was wrenched in the hip, which caused him to walk with a limp and he got a new name from wrestling with the Lord. He was limping because the presence of God changed him. Jacob left different. He walked out a different person. (laughs) Excuse me. He walked out a different person with a different name. He touched God. He was changed and he became a different person. Expect that when you are in God's presence, you will emerge different. Acts 5 verse 12 says this, And the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. Amen. Verse 15 says, And as a result, People brought their sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by and all of them were healed. So that at least Peter's shadow might fall on them as he passed by and all of them were healed. I don't know if you've seen that movie Hook with Dustin Hoffman, Robin Williams, one of the greats. In that movie, Um, Peter Pan loses his shadow. I reckon Peter needed that to happen because then he could have been working in two places at once all the time, like just healing people, but he couldn't because that's just a movie. But this actually happened. That I've got a shadow right now. I've got two actually because of the lighting. That people were trying, if they couldn't get to the man Peter, they were at least trying to get people into the shadow because they knew there was such power in the apostles that had been with Jesus, that they would get as close as they could to his presence, which meant his shadow. And those people were healed because there was such power from the difference that God had made in the lives of these apostles. These guys had been with God's presence in the secret place. They had been through the test as we heard last week, but they had emerged and they were different. The Bible talks about Jesus, whose face shone like the sun and whose clothes were white. When he, when he was on the mountain, he was transfigured, the Bible says, shone like the sun, clothes become white, that he was changed. He was transfigured from God's presence in his life. I can tell when Nadia has been praying. Nadia is always stunning every day. But when she's been praying, 
there's that countenance that's different. You can tell when someone's been in God's presence. You can tell when there's that great small group or for the soulmates, a really solid run and you get back. Everyone's on the glow up. That's what we call it. Everyone's, everyone's beaming. You know that look in church when someone looks at you sideways, you know? You've been praying, fam. God come through for you this week. You look back, say less, fam. Because together you both know God's been at work in your life. You've, you've sought him, you've fasted and prayed, but you've now emerged and you are different. Moses came to God's presence in the burning bush, a wanderer, and he left a conqueror because God's presence changed his life, shoulders back, confident, no anxiety and full of peace, stuttering one minute, changing the world the next. About a year or maybe 18 months ago, Two guys who you might not know, many people who are hearing this will know. Mike Burke and Sam Wilson were giggling at my house in the corner. I said something and they started laughing. But, you know, you can tell there's a difference between like, I'm laughing with you at the funny thing you said versus like, I'm laughing at you because of the normal thing you said. You know, there's, big, there's subtle but big difference. And so I'm like, you know, I'm talking away. They start giggling. And I was like, what, 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 what's this? What's happening here? And they're like, bro, like, dude, you're power word is osmosis. And I was like, what do you mean? They're like, they're like bro, your go-to word is osmosis. And I was like, oh, sure. Like, I think that's a great word. I think I do use that word, but I don't think it's a power word. I don't think it's a go-to. They're like, nah. We've counted for the last, I think they said like 10 or 11 Sundays, you've used the word osmosis in your preaching. And I was like, you reckon? They're like, bro. And like, I, like Sam Wilson, is a total goose. So I don't really believe him when he said 10 or 11 weeks, but when Mike Burke says, I've counted for 10 or 11 weeks and you've said it, like I legit believed him. So I would bring it up with other people like, nah, I don't think you say it that much. Or like, I've never even, someone even said, who I trust, said, I've never even heard you say it. Anyway, the moment passes and then I buy like a new router for my home through Rogers and, I, and Mike's at my house when, I'm, when it arrives in the mail. And I'm like, oh, bro, Mike, and he's technical. I was like, would you mind helping me set this up, man? He goes, yeah, bro, no worries. Plugs it in, sets it up, sets up like the 5G and the guest, uh, you know, like, um, Wi-Fi networks, and then the main one for the family. He goes, bro, the password is Mary Church 6. Okay, so that's my Wi-Fi password, Mary Church 6. I was like, yeah, great, thanks, man. And then he like closes his laptop and then just kind of gets on with the day. But you could tell that, you could tell he's just been working on a little joke or a little prank or something. You can see the, the glint in his eye. And I was like, oh, sick. Pull out my phone, jump on it. I was like, what's it called, bro? And I pull out, there's these three, because only, like, you know, you see three accounts in your house. You can't really see your neighbors if they're not that strong. And it was Osmosis 5G, Osmosis Guest, and Osmosis. And I was like, bro, <laughs> you've named my Wi Fi networks Osmosis. He loses it. Like he's fallen over. I think Sam was here at the time. I was like, bro, I named his Wi-Fi networks Osmosis. Anyway, I say all of that to say this. Osmosis, which you should figure out what that means, is the most apt way to describe what happens when we get in God's presence and how he goes about changing us. Because God doesn't instruct change. He doesn't, he's not like, you should change and then wait for us to change. He's not looking at us like impressing upon us change. He's not even giving us reasons to change. When we get in his presence, we just change. When we get around him, you know, when you get around good people, you just get better. I love good people, man. Because when I get around them, I love better people. Because you just get better. 
a few of our friends moved back to New Zealand from the church and they were better runners than me. And then when they left, I text Landon. I was like, bro, looks like it's just me and you, home dog. You know, who's, who could be the best runner in the church? And he texted me back. He's like, bro, that's us, you know? And I was better at, at long distance than him, but he would kill me in the shorter distance. So I was like, bro, I'm coming after you. So I literally went to his house and ran his route with him. Then about four people in the space of like two or three weeks came to the church who were significantly better runners than myself. I, and I was like, you know, half of you is like, I wanted to be the best. But the, the, the real part of me was like, I love it because they're going to make me better. When you get around better people, they make you better. Who's better people than better people? God is the best. You get around him, you are made better via osmosis. The last thing I say is this, is that we're not just made different. We're not just amazed, but we become urgent. The Bible talks about the woman at the well, and it says this in John 4, 28. It says, leaving her water jar, she went back to her town and said to her people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. She'd gone to get some water, met Jesus. They had a conversation and for time's sake, I've just moved to the end. And it says this, that she went back to her town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything that I did. Isaiah 6, 8 says this. And this, is, this has been a, a song lyric for many a year. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, send me. And the next passage says, go and tell these people. Speaking of the prophet Isaiah. The Bible talks about Mary at the tomb, Mary Magdalene. It says in John 20, verse 18, Mary went to the disciples with the news. She went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. We become urgent. The woman at the well meets Jesus. He changes her life. And what's the first thing she does? She urgently goes back to her town, preaches the gospel, and the whole town is impacted from the testimony of her having a conversation with Christ. Isaiah sees a picture of the Lord. He's high and lifted up. And, and God does one of those ones. He's like, oh man. You know, and it's Isaiah's vision. He's like, oh, who should go for us? You know, he's like, you know? And Isaiah's like, me, 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 send me. And then God says, go and tell what? These people. Mary Magdalene is at the tomb, sees Jesus. The tomb is empty. Jesus, Jesus is there gardening. Like, you know, it, that's what she thinks. And then he says, Mary, she says, Rabboni. And then they have this little conversation. And what does she do? gone, urgently goes to tell the disciples, the apostles about the fact that she had just seen Jesus. She was the first person to see the resurrected Christ and the first person to share the good news of Him coming back from the dead. Beautiful moments, urgent moments. This week we had group a couple of weeks ago and a couple in my group bought a friend, bought a couple of friends and they were different in the group because they had friends. They were different. They were switched on differently. They were leaning in differently. Text me after like, hey man, maybe we could improve this part of the group. This was great. They were more thoughtful than usual. Why? Because they were urgent about the fact that there were people in the group that they loved and wanted to have a good experience in the community of the church. And I was texting back. I was like, this is the best text conversation. Because even though you're like, maybe suggesting some tweaks or some things that we could do better that I agree with, the reason you're doing it is because you're on edge, because you so love the people that you bought. When we fall in love with God and when we get into His presence, we fall in love with the things that He loves and He loves people. We become urgent about the things that He cares about when we get in His presence. Do you remember how you responded when you first came to the Lord? 
You were pumped about it. You told all your friends. You came home, you told your family. You were urgent because you found a friend in the Lord and you wanted everybody to know about it. And you were pumped, you were fizzing. You had news and you wanted to share it. The Bible says in Romans, I think it's Romans 10, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. In other words, you can tell when someone has news to share because they walk differently. You can tell when someone has good news to share because they walk differently. It talks about how when they would have a scout come back to report how the war is going back to the king. You could tell straight away if the news was good or bad. If they were limping and bloody and ripped and you know defeated, you could tell the news was bad. But if they're bounding through the hills, you could tell the news was good. It's just like that these days. Someone walks in, how was the test? You wrote that exam, how did that go? How was work today? How was the drive from Toronto? How was this, how was that? How was hockey? How'd the sands go? You can tell straight away, good news or bad news, based on the way they walk and their countenance. Let's be a people that walk differently because of the good news that we carry, because He has done amazing things in our lives. He has changed us as we emerge from His presence and let that urgency change the way that we walk. Let us walk differently. Jacob walked differently. Mary, the woman at the well, Isaiah, go and tell these people, when we fall in love with God, we fall in love with the things that He loves and He loves people. And let's be a people that walk differently. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, man, like I'm just hearing the news for the first time. Like I'm, I'm not walking with the Lord. I don't, I don't know what that looks like. Friend, I'm so glad that you are here. I'm so stoked to be celebrating my 15 year wedding anniversary with my wife, with you today, because you are the most precious person that's at this church gathering today, that's listening on this podcast, that's watching on YouTube because you're here and you don't know Jesus and you have a chance right now to have your whole life impacted and changed through one prayer, one moment of repentance to say, God, I don't have it all figured out and giving Him a chance to come in and impact your life through faith and through the confession of our sins. And so if you're here today, you're saying, I don't know Jesus, man. I don't know the Lord. I'm not walking with God. Let me today, let me pray with you. Let me walk you in a prayer. I'll say one line and you repeat that line back to me. And I believe that in that moment, your whole life can be truly, truly changed. Mine has been changed for over two decades now since I prayed a prayer just like you're about to pray today. Let me, let me lead you in this prayer and then I'll hand you back to the guys. The prayer goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you. I need you in my life. I ask you, forgive me of my sin. And I thank you that you do. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Amen. We're so glad you joined us at Liberty City Podcast. Please check us out on social media and find an event to connect with us.